watch a video. Really? What? Go to some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the It Slays podcast. I am Rowan. Hey, it's Exilia. This is Mike. And we have our first special guest today. He is a Newfoundland author. His debut book, After Dark Vapors, is uh, tearing up uh, the Newfoundland charts, and he's definitely probably the most prolific writer of all time. Uh, he's definitely surpassed Hemingway or any of those losers. Uh, he's also the host of the Deconstruction Junction podcast, Mr. Brad Dunn. Yay! What's up, guys? We are basking in his celebrity. <laughs> you're, you're kind of you're kind of a big deal. Thank you. We'll we'll transfer your uh, your appearance deposit after. <laughs> <laughs> so today, I figure let's just get right into it. We are reviewing 1979 Alien. The first one, because always start with the first, I guess. And let's get right into the trailer. Where's Earth? Seems we have intercepted a transmission of unknown origin. Human. Unknown. Can you see this? I've never seen anything like it. the trailer (laughs) there we go so uh quickly before we get into our review of it i want to give a patreon shout out we have another patreon subscriber who has donated and become a horror hound jennifer stansberry thank you stansberry thank you very much Uh, you guys are killing it yeah, we're killing it with uh, our two subscriptions. That's we've only got like what four episodes. That's pretty good. That's right. That's right. Two right now we're at uh, we're at like two dollars. Next stop is two million. <laughs> a couple <laughs> days after Cecily subscribed, Rowan woke me up in the middle of the night. He's like, "We have another Patreon per- subscriber." <laughs> that's right. I appreciate anyone that subscribes <laughs> in the middle of the night while I am up. So it was amazing. So, uh, let's get right into it. Let's start with, uh, what is everyone's experience with this movie? Have you seen it before? Uh, let's start with Brad. Uh, I think I saw it 
uh, in full the first time in like high school. Uh, I think I saw Alien Three, the uh, my first uh, foray into that um, franchise, and then Alien Resurrection. And I kind of thought it was like a, a silly franchise, just like a uh, nothing really special about it. And I was pretty surprised when I found out that it's like this like critical darling. And uh, I remember renting it from Blockbuster in high school and being pretty blown away from by it. Um, and I've been just a massive fan of it ever since. Definitely one of my favorites. How about yourself, Mike? Um. Well, I also came to it. I don't think it was high school it was maybe junior high i feel like i saw it on a movie channel and um i'm not gonna lie i loved alien 3 even though everybody hates it i love david fincher i love the like steam of it all the chefs of light um you know the dripping um i love alien resurrection even though everybody hates it because i love joss whedon and Winona Ryder, and anyway, but of course, you know, you can't top the first two, and I've seen them many times. I was very lucky in, you know, our small city of Mount Pearl. Um, years ago, they did a, like, revival showing of it at the theater, and that was really nice, and it was an old, like, cut of it, you know, it was really grainy, and, you know, it was like legit film, not just, you know, them playing a DVD, and it was it was really cool, and I've always had a really soft spot for it. You know, one of my best friends in high school and I were huge Alien fans. So, and shout out to Mount Pearl, our uh, our number one listeners. They're consistently the top. Uh, what are they? A city? Are they considered a city now? Yes. Yeah. The they are a city. My God. Brad representing hard. Uh, so yeah, they so are the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme. <laughs> represent. Represent. How about you, Exilia? Uh, so this was my first time seeing this one like alien but oh. <laughs> uh when alien versus predator many years ago <laughs> was in the theater rowan and i went and then i think rowan bought it and we showed it to my brother who was like very young at the time and he really enjoyed it so i enjoyed it because he did and then we also saw in the theater alien resurrection and it was like i believe i left the theater saying this is the worst movie i've ever <laughs> seen in my life with me yeah, with let me, you. Let me make a correction. It wasn't <laughs> Alien Resurrection. Are you sure? It was. It was. Uh, What's the one? After? Alien versus Predator. No, it's the one after that. Yeah, Alien versus Predator. Requiem, Requiem. probably. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. oh, sorry. The second one. one. There's so many. That one was the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Oh, and... Requiem is terrible. <laughs> so that was like kind of my impression of what Alien was, and I was just like very much not into it. So this was my first uh, time watching this one and you'll have to wait and hear what i think about it uh in my first time seeing it was uh i was a kid so i yeah i don't know like i probably would have been like eight or nine uh because i alien was kind of always my big go-to movies when i was young i had all like the action figures i read the comics and i collected the comics when i was a kid so that was my first foray into it. I don't think I saw the first one first. I think I saw the second one first. Um, but uh, I, I've seen this 8 million times. I love this movie. We'll see how much I love it. We'll find out. Uh, so shall we start at the beginning? Um, I don't know about anyone else, but it's really hard for me to watch that 
beginning of the ship without thinking about space balls. <laughs> I don't understand how anybody could watch any of this movie without thinking of space balls, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, the score, I love the music in this movie. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith did it. Uh, like, I think the whole score throughout the whole movie is amazing. I mean, the score such as it is, it's very sparingly used, which is obviously really effective. Yeah, um, yeah, it definitely is. There was a scene, like, when, when, um, they go onto that other ship, that's, like, where the alien is, um, they have, like, a real, like, nice bit of the score there, and I would took note of that like i really like the sound of that it was almost like synthy which is interesting because it's like 1979 there's a lot of uh there was a lot of conflict over that score right yeah i saw i saw a little bit about it do you know much about that or yeah so he if you if you listen to the official soundtrack there's a lot of music on the soundtrack that's not in the movie uh because they just felt like it didn't suit the film itself uh, like there's um like the alien the xenomorph has like its own theme with like horns and stuff, uh but uh, it's totally cut from the movie and uh, a lot of stuff they used from another movie that he did called Freud, and um, they bought that soundtrack so they could use it in Alien they could like repurpose it in Alien, uh because I think the the composer said that um Ridley Scott didn't really properly explain what he wanted. And so um, he gave them something that wasn't suitable. And there was a lot of like um, kind of inside baseball drama over the, the score. But it obviously ended up great. What you see on, on screen, I think, is is uh, pretty much perfect. Oh, it's very effectively used. But the, the Xenomorph theme that he had created is really cool. I, I would definitely recommend listening to it. But like... You listen to it, and it's like it just doesn't sound like the movie. Like it doesn't, it doesn't suit the tone of the movie at all. Gotcha. I'll have to. I don't know if I've ever heard that or not. I have to listen to that though, because now I'm very interested. And it speaks to I think one of the big uh, innovations of the movie because this movie um, is very uh, much the first of its kind because no one had really seen like a really sophisticated monster movie before. And I think a lot of people went into it thinking it was going to be um, kind of like a like a like a Roger Corman type like corny kind of yeah. monster movie, but it's uh, it's it's very sophisticated and, and uh, um, I think the the composer probably just didn't know what he, what he was dealing with for the most part. I was going to say which it very well could have been because I know I had lo- I had read. Uh... That the one of the writers, Dan O'Brien, that they originally were talking to Roger Cormack about making this movie. And are you that, trying to butcher everybody's names right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, O'Bannon and McCormick. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'm just giving you shit. It's okay, guys. This is what happens when I drink. Okay. <laughs> like last time, where it was just like silence. Yeah. No one's like space. <laughs> But uh, I do know, like, the first, like, five minutes of the movie, I, I was thinking, because it has been a while since I, I've given this a rewatch, that I was thinking that uh, visually, like, I thought it, like, really still kind of holds up. Like, it looks good. Uh, like, there it, there wasn't a lot of shots 
I found overly that you're like, oh, this is like really dated. Like I thought all the, I mean, because we know they were using like practical effects. Like I think it, stuff with the ship looked really good. Like I think would still hold up. Oh, beautiful. I think when I I got into this movie uh, in high school because I was going through the the IMDb top 250 list, and uh, I was surprised that it was so high on the list at the time. Because again, I thought it was just like um, I, I put it in kind of the same camp as like Freddy and Jason kind of thing. Even yeah. though, I mean, I love those movies, but they're not like you know critical darlings. Um, and I was I was shocked the first time watching it because. So she does opening sequences with um, like the set. I mean, this this movie probably has the best set ever designed for a movie. Like, oh, it's it's incredible, beautiful. and the best props I think too, and costume design, and uh, and just like the cinematography. Um, every time I see the sequence where John Hurt walks into the like the hatchery, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. And he, like his hand, he puts his hand over the mist. The mist. Oh. It's and it's got like that chilling. weird like. Pink Floyd laser thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's always like Frankie goes to Hollywood. Like yeah. relax. <laughs> it always blows my mind how how beautiful the movie is. I I saw that they said that the blue mist was like influenced from they went to like uh the Who con uh, Who concert and they okay. had those lasers like blue lasers and they were like we need to put these in the movie. <laughs> Good call. Well, Brad, you weren't far off. <laughs> <laughs> Pink Floyd, the Who. It's just a the seventies, man. Yeah, I, I think the control room, like the room that controls Mother. I think that's such a beautiful room. It's almost like a womb or something. It's like white with all those lights. Oh yeah. Oh my god, I called it the egg room. Yeah, <laughs> and me- there were two egg rooms. There was the room that looked like an egg in Mother, mm-hmm. which was the one that you were inside, and then there's the egg room, which, as Brad called it, like, the hatchery that had eggs in it. I thought that was so cool. Oh, there's a lot of, um, well, H.R. Giger is, well, I guess we'll talk to that when we get to it, but, like, there's just so many dicks and vaginas. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, everything <laughs> in it is, it's penetration and procreation. Super sexual. That Super could be sexual. the, like, <laughs> subtitle of this movie. I also heard the smoke, the smoke in that scene I also heard is, uh, just a shitload of weed, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Sex aside, Rowan and I also uh, discussed how much we love that round table that they eat at. Yes. Oh, yeah. Rowan said he wants to have that someday. I need that table. <laughs> uh, one thing that I thought was kind of funny is I, I had wrote in my notes, like, maybe this is like the, uh, the grandfather of uh, found footage and horror. Like, the whole sequence with, where they're like looking at their cameras, going into the ship, and we all have that kind of, like, camera view. I, I Like, I can't really think of anything that much older that kind of used that technique. I'm well, sure. I guess there was Is not a lot of, like, peering into screens, yeah. Is that really found? Weren't they watching it in real time? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I, what do you call that? It's real time video? footage. <laughs> <I don't> no. <know. laughs> this is a video. <laughs> Television terror? I don't know. <laughs> so what, uh, let's talk about the cast a little bit. Oh my god, Ultra Heart. Like, the whatever Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> oh, we're gonna get in a fight. <laughs> no. I know but, you're just tagging me on here. The interesting thing about the cast is, uh, this is like her first movie. Yeah. And she's she's 29, so she's pretty old. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. Well, pretty, pretty old for like, 
a film debut for like a like a movie star for like a like, feature yeah especially like a woman like by 29 most actresses are like their career is like wind is like winding down almost like they're playing moms and she's like just taking off i think she, she she'd uh come from theater and uh actually the other actors didn't really uh get along with her they thought she was uh she didn't have the stuff and they uh she wasn't comfortable um uh improving with and a lot of the scenes are improv especially yafit koto uh yeah. aka the black guy um he was he he uh was giving her a lot of shit just like pushing her to to improvise more because from a theater background it's like you respect the script like you don't deviate from the script and uh the other actors uh just thought she was kind of um too green and didn't really uh respect her but i think that works out well because there's a really like us versus are like is her versus the crew i think a lot of the movie and like it, it really like it. yeah she's really like she really sticks out as like is um uh like there's a real like conflict and opposition there which is nice because in the story there is as well so maybe that worked to the advantage oh big time i think she was also allergic to the cats <laughs> yeah i saw oh, that I, I saw it. it was like the mixture of cats and the the whatever they were putting on them to make them look sweaty Man. Yeah, and she she thought that uh, Ridley Scott was going to fire her because it would be just as easy to get another actress than four cats that look the same. <laughs> was Jonesy four different jo- cats? Yeah, Jonesy was played by four different wow. cats. Okay, that makes sense because when I was looking at pictures today, I was like, these don't all look exactly the same cats. It's the same uh, with Pet Cemetery recently. Uh, in the new Pet Cemetery, I was just looking how they have like, they had four different main coons to play the same church because uh, cats... <laughs> Cats are very obedient. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, like, you need, like, one cat to do one specific thing. So, like, you get one cat to hiss on command. You can get one ha- cat to, like, jump on command. But, like, you can't just get one cat that does all... Everything. All, everything. <laughs> I, I saw, I thought it was, like, kind of funny and interesting, too. Like, I was reading about um, to get the cat to, like, react when the alien was there. That they they got a screen... And they put a German Shepherd on the other side, and then they would just move the screen so the cat could see the German Shepherd, and then the cat would, like, recoil in horror. <laughs> and that's how they uh, get the cat to do that. While we're on this topic, I should note that uh, Jonesy was most definitely my favorite part of this entire movie. <laughs> Jonesy's the real star. <laughs> there's there's literally a, a, a how-to screenplay guy called Save the Cat. <laughs> and because Sigourney Weaver saves the cat in the end. Yes. Spoiler alert. But if you haven't seen this movie yet and you're listening you to this podcast, to this. you're a fucking idiot, okay? Right now, you're a dumbass. I gave up on the spoiler alert. <laughs> I just I just give up. I loved how she saved the cat because every other movie, I would always be like, what about the cat? But this one, she actually did, and I was so impressed. And she's like walking with a flamethrower. She has like the cat carrier i was very happy about that always save the cat and i'm just gonna say this like especially like when we first at the table when we first get introduced to the cast uh i like could not wait until they murdered lambert that was like (laughs) lambert was so whiny yeah i was like man i can't wait in the director's cut i don't know if you guys watched the director's cut we did watch the director's cut 
um, she actually slaps Ripley in that scene. Eh? Yeah. She actually slaps Sigourney. <laughs> yeah, when they're, like, outside the observation area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only time I was, like, uh, towards the end when she, like, stabs, I can't remember who she stabs, but she stabs someone. Oh, the the Ash guy? That, I was like, whoa, she actually has some sort of, like, something in her. Because other than that, she's just, like, freaking out and crying. And it's, I find that so annoying. Also, when, uh, when John Hurt gets the chest burst or scene and she gets blood on her, that's like a, that's like a real reaction. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. They didn't tell any of them that they were going to have, like, blood spurt out. Yeah. Such a good way to get a reaction. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, but overall, I thought, like, the casting was, like, was pretty, like, good. I thought everyone was casted right. Uh, I saw that originally Harrison Ford was supposed to be Dallas, but he (laughs) didn't accept the author. Oh, this would have been right after Star Wars stuff. So. Yeah, I I'm not gonna lie, I I'm perfectly happy with Tom Skerritt. <laughs> like, he was I, I think he's terrible <laughs> as Dallas. Oh my god, I love him. <laughs> no, no, I think Harrison Ford would be terrible as Dallas. Oh, okay, yes, that's what I'm saying. Okay, good. <laughs> I like I Tom Skerritt to me just like owned it. <laughs> it oh, he's great in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I thought they were really amazing. I also the other thing I thought was really amazing was that. I enjoy any two guys that just get to work and drink at the same time. <laughs> they, I thought they were like the best. Was uh, what were their names in it? I never remember. The two yeah, Toto and Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Like, I can't remember their characters' names. Yeah, I was totally not prepared for that. But the, the engine room guys. <laughs> yeah. Which you know. Always, I feel like all like sci-fi esque movies, the engine room people always like have to represent like you know the blue collared worker. Well, that's one cool thing about this movie is, uh, well, O'Bannon when he wrote the original script, it was uh, they're all kind of like nondescript scientists. But then when uh, Ridley Scott and Brandywine got their hands on it, they made it more. Uh, they were like space truckers, they call them, and so they're more like yes, blue collar yeah. kind of. Um, uh, uh, just working class kind of characters. Yeah, and I was gonna say I just like I like that addition because I I think with just like I don't think it would have worked the same with like scientists. And in the original like screenplay, I guess I had read too that Sigourney Weaver's character, like Ripley, was actually like genderless, and then it was Ripley Scott that decided to make Ridley it Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott is that I said, or did I say Ripley Scott? Oh my god, there's too many names close to each other. Um, Ridley Scott had made Ripley a woman because, like, after his mom or something, like she was like a strong single mother and all this. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, all the characters in the original script are all like uh, genderless and uh, just kind of nondescript. And Ridley Scott went a long way in giving them backstories mm-hmm. and just kind of um, elevating the characters. In um in so I was reading a little bit about this. I haven't seen Alien Aliens, but um they were saying like basically when they were describing the the characters that who died in Aliens, um Lambert they had said that Lambert actually had like was like gender. Now that's debatable if it's gender reassignment or sex reassignment, but um surgery from male to female 
Um, and then like had a whole report and it was like, there's no indication of suppressed traumas related to gender alteration and all this stuff. And I thought that was really interesting, but also because this movie is like so much like people praise it for like being really good on gender issues. I thought that was interesting. Anyways, we're not going to get academic or sociological here, but that was like a little bit backwards I found in terms of transgender and stuff like that. So Lambert's supposed to be transgender? Yeah, like, I don't know if I would really say transgender if you're, like, doing it at birth um, without somebody's consent. I don't know, like, the logistics of language there. But yeah, so basically, it was, like, an experimental thing, and they they were reassigned um, gender from male to female at birth. And it was like, I can't remember, Despin, Despin conversion or something. I think Despin was like some sort of doctor. I don't 100% know. Yeah, it's like in a report in the second one. Yeah, like in a dossier. It just basically flipped on screen really quickly, I guess. But a lot of people, you know how people like really analyze analyze these things. So they had like paused the screen and now they have like a screenshot of what everybody says. So I thought that was interesting. So while we talk about the cast, is this... Is this an appropriate time, Mike, for you to discuss your love of Sigourney Weaver? Um, it's not love, it's adoration. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver has been my everything since I first saw, well, I guess this probably when I was in my teens, and um, she's amazing. Let's The, the ultimate like, final girl, or? No, I'm not going to say the ultimate final girl, but she is, you know, up there. Top three. Top three, oh, for sure. 100%. Me, me. And I mean, you know, come on, we're talking about, like, you know, she's not just a brilliant actress, but she's um, a spectacular model. I don't know if you guys have ever seen her Helmut Newton photos or anything like that, but she is, you know, tall and statuesque and can take a fucking photograph. <laughs> well, that's that's the important thing. I think the Well, first... it is. <laughs> I think the first movie I ever saw her in was Galaxy Quest when it came out when I was a kid. Oh, that and so, so like, good. that's what I That movie's unreal. Of. Underrated classic. <laughs> Amazing movie. Underrated classic. So we briefly talked about the uh like just the atmosphere. It's definitely if this is I guess guess if you're listening to this podcast and you're just watching this movie now, I don't know why that would be, unless you're Exilia. Uh, rude (laughs) it's definitely a slow burn movie it's not uh it is not hype at the beginning i don't find that at all because we we did the invitation that's definitely a slow burn but the face hugger thing happens and that's not very far into the movie compared to the sequels is a a pretty slow burn i would say yeah yeah the other ones are like action yeah okay I mean, the first well, act of this movie is pretty long. Yeah, like, uh, it's pretty long, and up until they get to the like the hatchery, which is, I, I would say, when the facehugger gets John Hurt, that's really when Act One is over. And that's yeah. like I don't know, like twenty, thirty minutes into a two-hour movie. That's pretty long. Yeah, it, it takes a while. And I was gonna say, like, I mean, maybe it's just because I love this movie, but like, I, I was saying that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I think they did a great job. Like with that slow burn pacing, like, creating this, like, atmosphere and, like, definitely as we see these characters and how they're interacting with their surroundings and the ship, like, 
creating that like claustrophobic feel of being on a ship. Like I think they did really good at that because I think in any sort of horror sci-fi or even just sci-fi, a big mistake I think that a lot of people make is they make these ships seem so large and, and like you can just do anything anywhere where this really shows like what I would realistically think is being on a spaceship. Like everything's very close quarter and it's not all comfy. Yeah. It's definitely, um, what I love too about the, the, the Nostromo on the sets is that it's uh it's very like dirty sci-fi. Um, this movie I think is like, I call this movie like the anti 2001, uh, 2001 space odyssey. Because 2001 Space Odyssey is, like, everything is really, like, pristine and very, like, clean. And uh, this one, uh, kind of, it starts with Star Wars. The idea of, like, the future isn't, uh, like, nice and spick and span. It's, it's like, super dirty and, and used. And that's what this feels like. Like, this feels like, uh, like, a, like a work site. Like, it's, it's like a... Um, it's really dark. Yeah, yes, almost it's very like a, much like in line with the like you know the proletariat that are on. Board. Yeah, they're like they're like Alberta rig pigs. Like they're, yeah. they're, <laughs> this Which is like thought... a, like a what what are they called? like tar sands like the yeah. the sites there like that's what it, that's what I I've never worked at a at an oil refinery but I imagine that's what it's like you know. I found that interesting because that that room I was saying like the control room. 2001 Space Odyssey is what I thought of in terms of that aesthetic of that room, but that's really the only room that looks like that. Everything well, is yes, exact and, and opposite. That, that room is, you know, an exception to the aesthetic of the whole mm-hmm. um, entirety of the rest of the ship. Yes, yeah. Yeah, sorry, and I'm just going to go back because I was lo- re-looking at my notes. I was going to say to the slow burn point that Brad was bringing up, I marked down that it takes 57 minutes at 57 minutes is the first death in this movie. Yes. I mean, that's halfway through the movie. Yeah. So a two hour movie and your first death at 57 minutes. So yeah, it it builds, it builds momentum and it, you know, builds inertia and then it just kind of crushes you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think the last 20 minutes of the movie, there isn't any dialogue. Yeah, no, it's just Sigourney running through the ship. And now in the director's cut, there's a scene where she finds Dallas being, uh, um, kind of, uh, turned into, um, what's, what am I, he's being like entombed kind of thing inside this like little egg. But, uh, and then he's like, kill me and she shoots him. But otherwise it's just her, but in the theatrical cut that's removed and it's her running around. And then all she really says is when she sings that like little lullaby when she's trying to get the xenomorph out of the ship but that's that's like all the dialogue is uh so i also wanted to bring up uh that i hope when we as a civilization are uh working in space like this that we get to wear awesome outfits like they do <laughs> i i enjoy that they have like i don't know i i'm gonna i'm gonna assume the company assigns them like chuck taylor's Oh, I was gonna yeah, say the, the right fucking ones. Chucks in this movie, and the like perfect shot, which you know it's a great, it's just a great shot of like you know because it's one of the earlier shots that we get of you know Queen Siggy, but you know she's sitting back and like sticks her fucking feet up, and it's like this perfect you know <laughs> product insert shot of her beautiful Chucks, and I just I love it, and it's everything, yeah. 
I feel I feel like there's like a couple shots of just like the shoes. Yep, yep. It's it's conspicuous. It's <laughs> it's very well done. <laughs> Not as bad as Will Smith and iRobot. <laughs> I have I've yet to see that. <laughs> ah, you're not missing that much. I, I I figured I wasn't. So, uh, do we want to talk about? Yeah, let's talk about like the eggs, the chest burster. Let's get into some aliens. So. Well, let's talk about how we get to that part. Okay, okay. Excuse Jeez. me. Excuse <laughs> me. So yeah, okay. So we the crew gets the distress signal. Uh, and they have to, you have to investigate it, uh, just cause, I guess. I, I always think about, like, you know, like the, the Eddie Murphy, uh, delirious, like, haunted house, like, white people have to investigate. <laughs> when they go to investigate, does Ash, like, have any, I can't remember or not, but does Ash have any, like, is he like, we have to? Does he have any say in, like, going? Because that's the primary mission that he, he has, is to make them bring back this species yeah he says uh because yafit and harry dean stanton don't want to go and he says if you don't go you forfeit your entire salary yeah i was gonna say he he plays the money card which obviously if we're talking about you know a bunch of working class like space miners or whatever they are that's space Space truckers (laughs) truckers yes sorry i think their original mission is that they're carrying a bunch of ore Yes, yeah. From, I knew, from okay, wherever I knew I got space miners from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I don't think they mind it. I think they just carry it, and they're carrying it from wherever planet back to Earth. Yeah, And they get rerouted to this planet. Yeah, um, and then, because at that point in the movie, we don't know yet that Ash has, like, the ulterior motives. We just know that they have to investigate. So they investigate reluctantly... This is where, you know, we get them in the spacesuits. They uh they they go out onto this planet and discover the uh the ship. We're we're what, like decades of uh away from knowing it's like the engineer shit from Prometheus. Oh, right. <laughs> but uh they go into this ship and I would say this is where we get kind of get the uh the first real look at like the alien, the art design of that entire look, which is iconic and amazing. I love yeah, how like, the how the ship and the alien look like each other. Yes, yeah. Well, I yes, because the ship is very like like bio, like organic. My understanding you know? was that the xenomorph adapts to its wherever it's born. So, like in the Nostromo, it's very black and. Uh, industrial, so it has that biomechanical look to it. And yeah. in Aliens, uh, they look more uh, gray, and um, uh, like they fit more into like a like a like a terraforming building, which is what they're doing in that one. But yeah. then they kind of the the next movies don't really build on how the xenomorphs adapt to their environment, which I think is like a big missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think that's. It kind of plays into the idea that this is like the ultimate predator, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess this is this is a good time to maybe like talk a little bit. Let me murder some more names. So like H.R. Geiger, right? Geiger, Geiger, Geiger. See, yeah, he is I'm, this. <laughs> this, uh, so he was the art director for anything that had to do with the aliens, is my understanding. 
he was basically that was his primary thing and uh yeah i was gonna say like to me this is like some of the most iconic movie art design i can really think of he like hand painted the engineer with yeah. like a with like an airbrush and, and the, uh the engineer looks tough in this oh the, i really scott calls it the um the cecil b demille shot because uh <laughs> they, i think that one shot with the engineer where he's there with like his uh control panel and it's yeah. the big set and they actually use kids to walk around so you get that sense of scale so the, the 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 people in the suits are actually little kids, and uh, they spent like half a million dollars on this set, and the studio was like, "You're insane! This isn't even the main set. You use it for like two minutes in the movie." And he's like, "But this is like, this is where people will watch it and realize, oh shit, this is like a real movie. This isn't like, you know, like we were saying earlier, some shitty monster movie. This is like a real bona fide sci-fi." kind of up there with, like, 2001 with Star Wars. And, uh, like, they used, uh, like, real bones in some of the, like, the, the, the hallways have a real organic look to them. Yes, yeah. They they kind of, they, 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 they arc, they arch like bones. It's like walking through, um, like, a skeleton kind of thing. Yes, I always think, like, are they in a rib cage or something? Like, Like, yeah. It's it's beautiful. Giger, Giger used real bones from, like, a butcher shop. Um, to build these sets. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, it looks amazing, and and to me, like, like you were saying, Brad, like when you're talking about, uh, kind of like telling the audience, like this is a serious film. To me, any serious film needs like some sort of giant dick gun looking thing. <laughs> That the engineer's sitting in. Well, I think what's so great about Alien is that it walks the line between, like, okay, this isn't some shitty horror movie, but this isn't, like, some pretentious, uh, like, like, Prometheus, I think, goes way too far into the pretentious, oh, 100%. uh, um, spectrum of it. Whereas this, I find Alien is just, like, perfectly on that line between, like, you know, genre and, uh, like film, right? Yes. Yeah. I think that's yeah. what makes it such a great movie because it's not, you don't feel like you're watching um, some really uh, decadent kind of self-absorbed auteur, but at the same time, it's not like um, Critters from Outer Space or Leprechaun in Space. <laughs> hey. <laughs> no, you're right though because it's it's um, you know which are great. Like I mean, you know. Well, Rowan didn't make me watch all the Le- Leprechaun movies, so... Oh, he's already started. <laughs> yeah, so, um... Yeah, so we have her... This is where we get introduced to the the eggs, the alien eggs, uh, which look great. Like, so iconic. Obviously, like, the movie poster and everything. Uh... And, and we get introduced to the face hugger, who, in my opinion, is like I much prefer the face hugger creature over the alien. Like if I had to choose, oh, it's truly and utterly terrifying. The face hugger is the most like cringy, gets under your skin kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it has that just like like creepy, like fast bug 
like feel to it. So like, yeah, it, oh, every time I see it, it just like creeps me out. Especially in Aliens when she's like locked in the room with it. Yeah, yeah. Her and Newt, and it's like just running around the room. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. But uh, the, this is where I think this is where it gets like super like Lovecraft, super like cosmic horror. In a sense that it's more, the movie is more, at this point anyway, is more about like viscera and like goopy stuff as opposed to like uh, blood and guts. Yeah. yeah. And uh, like the egg, it's like, uh, it's like they, I think they use fiberglass to build it because you can see the facehugger like fluttering. When John Hurt's like looking at it, you can see it fluttering and it's like, it's like sweating. The egg is like very moist. And, oh, uh, moist. <laughs> and then it like opens up. And it's uh, it's like sheep's. I think it's cow stomach they used, because it's like it's like this like pink, uh, with like these like white. It's almost like lace. Oh yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know it's what I mean? got and that it's like, like like almost uh, like little veins of fat or whatever. Yeah, it's it's super like tactile. You can just like you you can feel what it would probably feel like just looking at it, and the way it just kind of like coils out of that and it's just like shoots out it's yeah. super um it's uh it's 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 viscera as opposed to uh like slasher war of uh you know blood and guts kind of thing yeah exactly i jumped a little bit when it popped out <laughs> i i just keep thinking that like because we what we just hit like the 40th anniversary i think of this movie i believe I saw it all over Facebook, but I think that should be, like, the new poster. Just, like, alien, and the catch line is just, like, moist. <laughs> Especially Everything like, is wet. <laughs> towards the end, when, when she... I know we're jumping all over the place, but towards the end, when she finds them all, like, on the wall, and it's just, like, drip... Yeah, it's, like, dripping. It's disgusting. <laughs> Alright, so... We have the alien bursting out of the egg. It attaches itself to Kane. So we uh, we need to get Kane back on the ship, uh, and Ripley will not let Kane back in because of contamination. Uh, this is I this is kind of too. I feel the first scene where we're kind of getting those hints of like the alternative motives of Ash, because at this point in the movie, if you're someone like auxiliary or someone who hasn't seen it like we don't know anything about ash being like not being human or who he like yeah that he works for someone else so uh yeah like this is the first time we see him just like totally disobeying orders we kind of take it as just like an emotional thing but he kind of has that look where he's like, cool, I'm just going to own this. But it's also such a, like, the woman says no, and he's like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm going to fucking do it anyway. <laughs> the patriarchy. The patriarchy, as I'm on this podcast with three men. <laughs> Ash, I think Ash makes uh, the movie so rewatchable. It's oh, so, he's, It's so he's interesting watching um, Ian Holm, I think his name is. Yes, yeah. yeah. Bilbo it's Baggins represent one. Uh, so, so, like <laughs> watching Ian Holm and just like the look, the kind of sly looks he gives sometimes, and you, oh, it's like, all like eyebrows, <laughs> eyebrows, and you know, rewatching it, you can see how tense he is while they're in the hatchery. Like 
Because Sigourney, at one point, she's like, I'm going to go out and warn them. And he's like, no, what's the point? No, just let him. Oh, yeah, he stops it's like, her, yeah. When, you're, when you rewatch it, you can really see how he's trying to, like, undermine everyone and trying to carry out this oh yeah he's really mission. like engineering this this secondary mission yeah the thing i found was kind of interesting and this is not like a fully processed thought in my brain but when he's talking about how much he like admires the xenomorph and it's because it's like a very rational objective thing and it doesn't let its emotions get in the way but like Sigourney Weaver's character is also like that and he like undermines her because she's like I don't really care that these people this person might die like this is against protocol I don't want to infect the whole ship like it's very rational she kind of like takes her emotion out of it but he undermines that god damn hash the patriarchy I'm not saying that's about the patriarchy I'm just saying like I just think that's interesting that he like values rationality so much but then like I guess he does have the ulterior motive so that plays into it but yes well I was gonna say I mean you know he's still got his orders yeah everything else is secondary yes so we get Kane into the ship they take him to sick bay and you know we have all the discussion like how are we gonna get this thing off how is he breathing uh, and then this is where the scene where we're introduced to uh, the aliens' blood being acid when they go to cut uh, one of the the digits off, the, one of the fingers, the digits, the digits. <laughs> one of the creepy creepy fingers uh, off of it. Uh, I was always curious how the acid didn't get on Kane's head, but it kind of spits out, eh? Yeah, I thought for sure there'd be, like, at least a little drip. I wanted, like, a little rivulet of, you know, acid (laughs) to just run down the back of his head and just, like, kind of bisect him. But that didn't happen, did it? Maybe in the, like, super director's producer's cut. (laughs) The Zack Snyder cut. There you go, yeah. (laughs) Three hours and 45 minutes long. But going back to that scene where they get, where they're trying to get uh, John Hurt into the, the ship, that, that scene really makes the movie because I remember O'Bannon talking about how when him and the other guy were originally making it, one of the big things they were trying to do was how does the alien get aboard the ship in like an interesting way? It, they, it just can't like sneak on board. They didn't want it just to kind of like sneak on board. They wanted it to like some kind of novel and interesting way that it infiltrates the ship. And that's when um, the guy shoots it, I think his name is. And he... Yeah. I think he called O'Bannon at like two o'clock in the morning and he's like, how about the alien fucks one of the guys in the mouth and lays an egg in his stomach and that's how it gets on board. And they were like, okay, yeah, that's, that's different. (laughs) And, uh, I think that's, that's so much of what makes the, the xenomorph interesting is, um, how, uh, metamorphosizes and there's different stages of, of growth and, um, I think that's that that moment is what takes us from like a a, a run of the mill kind of alien movie to something different and cool. Yeah, it's just it's almost literally more visceral too. Yeah, it's very very the whole thing is very visceral. So they put him in like the the sleep thing, and uh, the thing eventually like he's awake. It's not on him anymore. They can't find him. Uh, that, that scene always, like, creeps me out when it, like, falls from the, it's, like, dead, but it falls from the ceiling when they're, like, looking for it. That scene always, always gets me. 
just because it's so creepy looking. Like we already said, it's just, yeah, it's very, like, it's very visceral and creepy. And then I was going to say, to me, probably the, we get to, like, in my opinion, like, the most iconic scene of the movie where, like, they, they're sitting down to eat and, uh, and then Kane has his, like, coughing fit and, uh, and then goes on the table and, and we get an alien. I think that baby alien's so cute when it comes out. Like it's like <laughs> a little. <laughs> it's Every so time, like I have seen this movie, I'm sure dozens of times over the years in various states of soberness, and. <laughs> Every time that thing fucking bursts out and goes on the table, it, it is, it, like, just, ab- to me, absolutely terrifying. And that's why it goes, like, this is one of those moments that takes it from, you know, sort of like what a lot of people just consider a sci-fi movie to, like, no, this is a fucking horror movie. <laughs> like, this is terrifying. But every time it comes out, I all of a sudden, like, just think it's going to go, hello, my baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. I can't look at everything is ruined. It's oh, and it should be mentioned that like he's the one in Spaceballs that is like oh it happens to they get him. I I thought to me in the entire movie, I think there was there's only two scenes and the when the alien like runs away, that's the only scene I think kind of faltered for me like visually just because. I mean, there wasn't real any way they could do that and make it look that good because it didn't have. No, any it's legs true. It's true. Anything. Yeah. So I just like when I saw it, I was like, Ugh, it's kind of like they just kind of like pull it and then it just like slides. Because to me, the only two scenes that really looked bad in this was that, and then there's a shot outside of like Ripley in the ship, but you can tell it's just like they took video and like superimposed it on this ship, and it just, oh yeah, it just like. That, that, so that was the only time that I thought it kind of looked bad. But, yeah, that, that scene was terrifying. Um, and, and then we kind of get into, like, the meat and potatoes of this movie. Like, we have to find this alien. Because they still think it's, like, a little baby. And, you know, we gotta get, we have to get it off this ship. And if they only knew. They should have thrown that guy overboard the second that they saw that thing on his face. <laughs> Just saying, like... We're like in pirate times now. Walk him to the plank. <laughs> hey man, when they prod that thing and its little tail coils tighter around that guy's neck, I'd be <laughs> like, fuck <laughs> him. <laughs> he's going to die anyway, whatever. There's no hope. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so they, they kind of start plotting out how they're going to find this thing. Um, I, I thought it was funny cause I liked how they like came up with the plan of, they like, they figured out they're going to blast this thing in the space. And the entire time I was thinking, I was like, maybe you guys should have a plan to catch it first. And then like, they had the plan of blasting the space, but it was like, how are we going to catch it? And, uh, yeah, this is when everyone, it's time to start killing some of these characters. Weren't they going to blast it? into space through like some sort of air or something like the air ducts yeah. i think they were trying to isolate it using like the doors yeah and then i think they were trying to get it in 
in a in a certain spot or something. room, and then they would like open an emergency hatch and flush it out or something like that. Yeah. So I want to know, everyone. So how did you feel when you first got to see the alien, like in its full glory? Because as an audience, I can imagine like first seeing this. If you don't know, it's going to turn into this giant thing, like. It's like a shock, because you're thinking this little baby alien, and then it's like this magnificent, giant alien. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is when uh, uh, Harry Dean Stanton is like, I think he's just standing there like having a smoke or something. Oh my god, I love all the smoking on this ship. (laughs) And you can see like the the coils and the rigging behind him, and the xenomorph is just kind of swinging. Yeah. And it's almost like you blink and you miss it. And he's just kind of well, like yeah, hanging there. Yeah, because there's chain swinging too, right? It's such a. And he's just kind of hanging shot. there, and you can see him kind of unfold, and then drop on him. I I love that sequence so much. Yeah, well, the the funny thing about the alien, like once it sort of reaches that peak stage, is to me, and this is what makes it like so fucking creepy and like slippery. Besides the fact that it looks very wet, um, is that it's always like somehow both able to like constantly be like towering and it's it always looks like it's getting taller and you know like more imposing and yet it can kind of like curl in and uncurl and unfurl and it's just like how are you towering but can like unfurl from like a little corner up in the ceiling or in the wall like it's just oh god it makes my skin crawls when i saw the fucking terrifying one, or like as it was like evolving and becoming bigger i was just so really sad it wasn't the cute little alien anymore but <laughs> i i do kind of have a question now that i'm thinking about it so the face hugger impregnated the guy with the egg that turned into this alien right mm-hmm. but how come the egg didn't turn into another face hugger no the queen lays the face huggers yeah, we don't we don't get introduced to which you find out in aliens in the second uh, one. We get introduced that there's a queen. Yeah, there's a queen. Alien. Oh yeah, and she makes the face huggers. And she then the makes face huggers eggs. Make, yeah, and then the face huggers make the aliens. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's, that's why like the fucking procreative like um, motif of this movie is so yeah. fucking deep because there's like eggs within you know egg carriers within other eggs and it's just like fuck. it's very um th- and i think this is another gets to my point about being anti-2001 because my favorite thing about this movie is that thematically it really blends like creation and destruction yeah because in 2001 creation um is very like um deified and yep. uh the i and um you know, it's a very uh, anthropocentric view of the universe that the universe or God or whatever, um, you know, higher beings, aliens have our best interests at heart. And throughout 2001, you see how these aliens guide our evolution through like uh, intelligent design. Whereas with alien, it's like no creation is like fucking brutal. <laughs> And, uh, the universe does not have our best interests at heart. It doesn't really give a shit whether we live or die. And there's creepy fucking things like the xenomorphs out there that, uh, will just eradicate us. Um, and then I think that gets explored more in Prometheus, the idea of, you know, the, the creatures that created us, we were like a failed experiment to them. And we, they, they didn't care whether we ascended to higher beings or not 
uh, but they kind of missed the target. They didn't stick the landing with Prometheus. But that I think that idea is more in line with what I think the world is actually like. <laughs> as much as I love Kubrick in 2001, I'm more of the Lovecraft alien view of the universe. Um, yeah. That like uh, it's it's a nasty, brutish, and cold place. And Definitely. whether whether we succeed as a species or not is is pretty irrelevant to irrelevant. the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I agree with that too. Yeah, the I'm, philosophical view. The philosophical <laughs> view. Uh, I I do the scene with Kane. I I was wondering like where that rain was coming from. Like it was like raining because he looks up and it's oh I think it's like condensation know. from like I have I, I actually was, a note about that. <laughs> Because I was like, okay, they're in space. I know this is probably supposed to be condensation, but, like, A, goddamn, that's a lot of it. B, <laughs> he, he just, like, like to me, it was this, like, he was in ecstasy, and it was, like, something out of a fucking, like, Botticelli or something. Like, he was just, like, standing there and, like, turns his face up, and it's, you know, dropping down on his face, and he's just, like, enjoying it, and, like, all but, like, licking at his tongue, and I'm like, that shit is, like, yeah. rusty-ass goddamn Gross. boiler room space station, which is probably <laughs> 70 or 100 years old, goddamn Faust water, like, ugh. I why, just, are you, why are you kink-shaming, my man? I, <laughs> I live, I live to kink-shame the rusty, uh, spaceship water liquors. <laughs> I think too because uh, the actors were smeared with like uh, grease to make them look sweaty and dirty and I think that was probably like a real reaction from Harry Dean Stanton because he was probably like oh thank god <laughs> water on my greasy ass face. <laughs> yeah okay no that's that's totally legit yeah. So Harry Dean Stanton is the first one to go. I'm trying to I'm trying to do this in order. Well after John Hurt. After John Hurt, yeah, he's he's toast. And then is it Dallas that's next? Yes, yes, Dallas. Which I know, like to me, that's a very because we kind of continue uh, Dallas's ventures to find this alien. That tropes kind of carried throughout the rest of the movies, where like we're in these small ducks and like we're. They, they kind of carry that on throughout all the movies. Oh, yeah, there's always, like, a flushing out sequence. Out of, yeah, out of tiny yeah. air ducts and stuff. But when he, like, actually gets killed, I uh, I love that scene just because it makes me laugh every time. Because it's, like, that quick shot of the alien. It's like, big boo. Yeah. Yeah, but, and to me, it just looks like he's, like, trying to hug him. He just, <laughs> like, has his hands out. And I was like, oh, he just wants to, he just wants yeah, to he's like, hug. give me a kiss. <laughs> I think there's a lot of, like, movies from the 70s. I, I read an interview with, um, oh, I forget his name now. Yeah, the guy who directed The Exorcist. Uh, Freakin. Talked, Freakin, yeah. Freakin talked about how uh, when they made movies in the 70s, they didn't expect you, the audience would be able to go home and pause the movie and rewind and fast forward. So he's like, because he was talking about um, the famous shot in The Exorcist where, like, you can see Pazuzu's face. The Flash, yeah. And he's like, yep. you know, a lot of people have made a big deal of it, but I, I, I never, if I had known people would just pause it, I probably wouldn't have put it in the movie because I'm so sick of people talking about it. And I think that's the same with Alien. Like, 
that yeah, scene it's supposed to be almost a, like subliminal flicker almost. It's like it's such a quick quick edit, but I think now with especially now with like DVDs and Blu-ray, you can just pause and same like X talking about Lambert earlier and how you can pause and just find all these little things in movies and during the seventies I don't think they, they anticipated that. It's kinda of interesting too when you like you think about the subject matter of the future and it's like they were not anticipating VHS. <laughs> <laughs> I love this too in terms of technology too, because this is twenty thirty seven and like the computers are like nineteen ninety two. I just always I that I, I wanted I made a, <laughs> I made a note I was gonna comment earlier when the opening sequence when the ship turns on it's like such a, <laughs> I have such a flashback of coming home and like booting my computer yeah. on and like turning <laughs> oh, on the yeah. internet because the computers are so fucking loud in this movie. It's like computers now, like they're just totally silent. But yeah. back in the day, said, they were I, I, so the one noisy. thing that I loved, there was a lot aesthetically um, about the computers that um, I enjoyed. I thought the design was great. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know whether it was accurate or not is is up for debate like when they're looking at the star system and it's like it's just there's like these little shitty lights on a grid and they're like where's yeah. earth yeah i'm like man exactly. google earth looks oh, better look than at that this, now this, this line of red lights here totally means something um you know that we have to like interpret but um oh my god the keyboards i was in love with i love a good clacky like thick, oh yeah um thick keyed keyboard i hate oh. these like flat flush to the surface of the computer like laptops that we have now so when oh, i saw yeah. them like tapping away on those like thick ass you know 70s um noisy keyboards it just yeah, like it made my skin sound. tingle yeah it was it's just, i love it <laughs> and, not, and none of them actually, very like like, like viscerally aesthetically satisfying. pleasing yeah, yeah. and I none of them it. actually have like the keyboards don't have any like actual letters, like oh yeah, it's just symbols. symbols, just like symbols. I, like, they tap like three keys, and then on screen, it's like this philosophical, existential, like <laughs> what should I do with my crew? You know, like <laughs> shall I, shall they live or die? Like <laughs> it's like you bitch, you just type three keys, like. <laughs> so Dal- Dallas goes. So now uh, Ripley is in charge because. Uh, she said, "Is that when she's she, third in command at the end when she's making that recording?" When it does say it, she's third, she's third, third officer. Or? Yeah, third officer. So who's the second? I think Gosh, it was man. John Hurt. Oh, uh, was it? Because I think oh, yes. when she when she won't let them in, I think she says when Dallas and Kane are off the boat, I'm yeah. I'm uh, yeah. I'm in captain. Charge. I'm the captain yes, now. Sir. Yeah. Okay. Yes, which is why he defers to her when she says, you know, don't open the don't open the hatch. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So after after uh, Dallas, I'm trying. Ash is the next one, right? Yes. Yes. So we have the uh, the infamous reveal that Ash is not a human. Okay, this is the this is the scene in the movie that I was actually like, okay, I think I actually like kind of like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, because we we kind of we get introduced to know something's not right when he's a uh, sweating milk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, mean, lo- I love it. Like, face it. Oh, like it goes with milk. the whole like vaginal, you know, phallic. You know, it's like. <laughs> 
both milk and semen at the same time somehow. I love like, when the bead of, of jizz juice is just coming down his eyebrow and she looks at him he kind of looks at him and is like yeah but and, and the funny thing is again going with this like fucking visual motif which I keep, just think is fucking brilliant you know he's like jizzing out the side of his face and her nose is bleeding like mm. real blood and yeah. it's just to me that little flash of like seeing each of it it's just it's a little detail that really makes a lot of difference at the beginning of the scene I wrote Ash is a psycho and then once we realized he's a ro, and then I was like dot 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 and a robot. Like I did not see that coming. <laughs> it's like I'm glad that-, that you know, forty years later, it still can it, it can still shock pull yeah, the rug well, out yeah. I was and I was curious how she was going to react to that because where like I knew I was I like I didn't really think about it like throughout this movie you don't really know until that reveal like what exactly is going on also when they like make his head re like reanimate his head and i don't know when the the camera switches back and forth with the the effects like when he's talking oh when they're straightening his head up (laughs) i.e you know that's a bad cut that's for me that's one of the bad i think there's like three shots in this movie that i don't like and one of them is um when they're like positioning his head, there's like a bad cutaway where it goes from yeah. the dummy to Ian Holt. To, he, to, to actually him, him. Yeah. yeah. It was really bad. And there's another one where she's like, he's like, you have my sympathies. And she like punches him in the head. <laughs> and then it goes back to like the dummy and he's just got this weird smile on his face. <laughs> it's like, and it's uh, like that, literally rubber eyes. Well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I do love, um, like I love all the milk. I love when he's talking and he's like spitting out the milk and all the like little beads coming out of his his body. Oh yeah, I, I think, think like they're really cool. I also read and I we have it was after I watched it, so I can't verify this. That remember when he's like trying to suffocate her with the, that magazine, which is weird in the first place. But I read that that was like a porn magazine. It is, yeah. You can see all the like <laughs> uh, like Playboy cutouts around them. Yeah, they're up on the wall. In that room, like oh, are they? Yeah, because it's clearly like a like a living quarter. I just thought and so it... there's like all these naked chicks up on the wall. I like to think that's Yapit Koto's room. <laughs> I just you know, <laughs> I was just thinking if I was her, like how you know maybe I could not be suffocated with a magazine. I just thought it was a really strange method <laughs> for for the longest time. Like the first couple times I ever saw this movie when. Uh, when he comes in uh, and, like, hits Ash to get her off, I always thought that he hit Ash with a magazine as well, and I could never figure out. I'm like, yo. How, is, how did that magazine decapitate? I'm like, this guy is going to swing <laughs> magazine. Or that is some fucking faulty-ass <laughs> cyborg um, manufacturing. When he does, like, that freak out, when he's just, like, spinning oh, around yeah. the room. Yeah. Like, I love I love I that. that was like, so weird. Like he does that. Like that actor does such a great job with that role. Ian like, Holm, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, the scene with the magazine is very phallic again. Like mm-hmm. it's very like whenever I watch that, it's like he's looking at all these naked chicks that are up on the wall, and it's almost like, is this how I rape a woman? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's it's his like weird robot brain trying to understand sex. And it just kind of gets more into the, like, how this movie melds sex and violence. So, 
we hook up to Ash because we they want to know what's going on, and they they get the full description. So this is where our remaining characters kind of find out that they the company old Whalen knows that they're uh, they're they find out they're expendable, and that really the, the whole point was to get this alien and and bring it home to uh the company the company and you touched on it briefly mike like it and it's kind of the theme throughout the movies and like any of the comics or anything that's come but like this really like proletariat bourgeoisie theme throughout these stories of like it's always like even though we know the company's called Wayland, like it's always the company. The company, like, yeah. Just kind of this, like, yeah. It's like something out of Kafka, right? Like, it's absurd and, you know, just almost like a sledgehammer. Yeah, this is where the movie has that, like, radical 70s cinema, like, critique of capitalism in it. Yeah, for sure. Which I think you don't really see anymore nowadays. Um, there's a bit of it in Prometheus and Covenant with, uh, with the original Wayland character, but. Just you don't see it as as sharp in this one, where it's like literally the company is like dehumanizing its employees to acquire this uh, this uh, commodity. And towards more like back towards the beginning, when um, Sigourney Weaver's talking to the main captain, what's his name? Dallas. Dallas. Um, she's like, "You're the captain. Can't you do anything about this?" And he was basically like, "No. Like it's all whatever the company wants." And like because. Um, Ash is from the company. He basically runs the ship. The captain is just like a figurehead, essentially. Yeah, it's... Yeah, there's still a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy mm-hmm. within the ship, and then there's a hierarchy that, you That's know, extends from outside it. the ship, yeah. Mm-hmm. I also thought it's interesting, so they are, like, ore dealers, but also they have this scientific interest in alien life, like... They're a very diverse company. Well, I mean, you know, these, like, multinationals with their fingers, <laughs> fingers in all the, thing. the it's, pies. It's not, a, <laughs> it's not a scientific interest. It's, uh, they're trying to commodify it. Oh, the alien. Yeah, and, and, and aliens well, and resurrection, like, they get more I, into it, but it's like... Maybe it, I have to see these other movies. They're well, trying to turn that into a weapon, I think, is what their, yeah. their goal is. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. And there is, there the is a brief ones. moment where... Um, I think it's Sigourney Weaver, or somebody actually does just say in passing, like, you know, they she realizes, like, they, they want to weaponize this alien. And then it's just sort of forgotten about, because, you know, mm-hmm. they're actually trying not to die from it. But Interesting. You know, that yeah, we... obviously gets fleshed out more in the subsequent installments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to back it up a bit, because I, I did want to bring up, uh, like even before, so but before Dallas dies, uh, Ash, like we get the creation of the uh, the motion detectors, which is like also plays like a big part in all the other movies that are to come. Ooh. So like the creation of the the thing, do you remember that exactly? Where that shows where he is and where the the change the of the air, yeah it uses the change in the air, change in air density, yeah. Yeah, and it like beeps. Oh yeah, yeah. And it tells them where it is. Like, so we we get that. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Mike sending us messages. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, 
I just thought I'd bring that up just because it's like such a big part in all of the other movies. I feel like I'm at a deep disadvantage for like only seeing Alien vs. Predator in that record. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and, and of course, there's so much lore to this story now. Like, there's so much lore and, you know, things are fleshed out or retconned or whatever in the subsequent movies. But like, you really can just extrapolate whatever you want from this one particular movie and like it functions very well as a standalone standalone. film Mm -hmm. it really truly does like and you can still get a lot of the themes that are sort of gone into at greater length in like aliens and alien 3 and stuff but like Mm -hmm. it still touches on all of that like this is the foundation and it's 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 a real like packed gem you know it's like a fucking diamond (laughs) it's like um i think if you were to make well, you can compare it to Prometheus because Alien is such a can it's such a perfect story, but there's so many like tendrils with like okay, who's this big huge alien dude? They don't they don't say any. They, there's no explanation for the engineer. There's no. no explanation where the eggs come from. But he's there, and it's this stunning like breathtaking shot, right? You can't just ignore it. Like it's there. It's exactly, yeah. yeah. So there's, like, those two unanswered questions, but they're not really... You don't need those questions answered for the story. It's just, yeah. like, it just hints at this much larger universe. Whereas, like, with Prometheus, it's like, you know, they keep hinting at these things, but they don't develop it, and then it just has so much, like, uh, franchise-itis to it. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Alien, it's like, here's a story, it's complete, and you don't need to see a sequel to understand it. It's all there. Um, and, you know, feel free to, like, use your imagination to, to fill in what you want. Whereas, um, if, I think if you were to make Alien now, it would just be like, obviously there'd be some kind of, you just, you'd be like, oh, well, the sequel. Will oh, yeah. And you know there's like, going to yeah. be a post credit scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, it wouldn't be, like, to me, it, it's, it gives you, like, prompts that you could theorize about, say, leaving the theater. But, it's still deeply satisfying if you don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So let's talk about the next deaths. I finally get my land. I'm all about the death. Uh, I finally get my wish. Lambert goes. (laughs) It's a good and a bad thing. Lambert goes, which I was very happy about. I think she's my favorite death. I love, I love her death scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like that whole sequence. Because I'm such a big fan. Like, that's kind of our first introduction into the, the like, double mouth. Of yeah, the- it's oh, so menacing yes. the way the tail between her legs coming up. Oh my god. Every time I see it, all I can think about is, like, Evil Dead tree rape. Like, <laughs> yeah. what is happening here? And obviously you get the you get the double mouth. And her, like, she, her face reminds me a lot of Shelley Duvall from The Shining. Mm-hmm. And her yes, face in the yes. shadow. It's the she, eyes, like a big yeah, eye. Yeah, when she and, sees yeah. the xenomorph, it's like, you can see the terror in her face. I love it. Yeah. She's very, very expressive. Not in like an overacting kind of way either, but just, you know. But yeah, so so we get their deaths. Like I said, that's probably, that's probably my favorite death scene as well. Uh, just because of how much of the alien we get to see in that. Oh yeah, and it's just like it's br- like with everything else in this movie, it's like brilliantly lit. Yes. In that it, you know, you know, cuz it's she just is like almost in the spotlight 
and you know it's this like steamy dark room and then all of a sudden it's like a spotlight on her and then a shadow oh my god ah, it makes my skin crawl they they always show like just enough which is always the best kind rather yeah. than like overdoing it and then there was two ripley and jones no the other guy yeah 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 it dies last in the, yeah in the same scene oh yeah yeah i meant those two go this is why Alien is so progressive, because the black guy dies last. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Oh my god, Although you're it... right, though. Technically, he is the last human to die. Isn't... So... Oh yeah, I guess she doesn't die. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> like, isn't she a human? Am I missing something? Twist ending. Ripley actually died. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Save so the they... cat, kill the girl. Like, that's the, <laughs> the, the new that's version of that screenwriting book, yeah. <laughs> and I, I like... I like the way they did this because I think it's almost like very untraditional where we kind of get like a fourth act in like in this movie because she goes she sets the self-destruct goes to the ship and like as an audience you're kind of like okay like we got these deaths we're getting the final act of escape and then we get a totally different act of the alien is on on this getaway ship, and we get like a whole bunch more uh, stuff. Like we get more action. Well, you know, and again, it sort of plays into the whole um, horror trope, but it's in space of the killer is not really dead, and he's coming yes. back for one last, you know, go. My anxiety definitely subsided once they got to the ship and everything was good and her and the cat were just chilling. And then the friggin' alien. And then I was like, wrote just when they you think they've got away. And then they didn't. I love and that this- scene where he's like blended in with the pipes. Yeah. And, and her hand, face is just right in front of it. Right and it's there. like, And his hand go! shoots out. And then when yep. it's kind of like um, when she's about to eject it, it's like the flashing lights. And it's, he's like coming up behind her. Yeah, the, it's so good. The, that whole sequence is probably my favorite with the alien. Like I love when she's when she sees it sideways on the wall there, and she's like she's hitting the like steam or whatever on it. Yeah, and like you you see it like I I think we get like a real good feel in that scene for, like, the movement of the alien mm. and, like... Mm-hmm. And how it can, like, curl in on itself, but also be, like, eight feet tall. Yeah, like, and to me, it's just, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but, yeah, it, like, to me, it, like, it just gives you that fear of, like, a creepy, like, animal or, like, you know, some like, a snake or something like that. Just oh, it's, yeah, it's very snake-like. It's very, very... It's, yeah, so, it, it's so uncanny, right? Like, it's, it's like, uncanny valley. It's, it's not a human... Doesn't really have a face. It's not really an animal. It's just like you can't place. It's 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 really an alien in the in the in the dictionary sense, right? Like, and uh, yeah, and the actor who played him was actually they just like built the costume onto him because the actor was seven feet tall. Jesus. Oh my god! And when he stood up, his hands went down to his kneecaps. Oh, this wow. is something I was kind of wondering too when I watched it because like when some of the movements. Especially when it's like dangling outside the ship at at the end, I was like, "This is definitely a person, like in real life. This is this." Well, yes, because it does person. have that. Like you said, it's not a human, it's not an animal, etc. But like, 
it has animalistic, but it does have, like, humanoid features, which is, yeah. you know. Yeah, and just some of the movement and just the shape of the body specifically in that, like, little scene, I was just like, this has to be, like... I can't, I can't remember the guy's name. I just, all I remember is that the guy's from Nigeria, and they met him in a bar, and it was, like, this special effects guy, and he saw him and said that his, his legs and his arms looked Unhuman because they were so naturally long, like they were so unnaturally long. Yeah. Bolaji like, like, Badejo. Yeah, I was oh, gonna he say, died in 1992. That's so sad. If only we had some sort of thing you could look information up. On. <laughs> <laughs> and the actor they got him to got to play in Covenant, uh, I think his name is Javier Botet, and he um, Javier Botet has some kind of condition. Where he he he's like he's super tall and he's very lanky. Uh, he he played uh, the he played Mama in the movie Mama. I don't know if you guys oh, ever okay. seen. Oh my god, I love that. And anyway. Mama has that like super weird uh, like body, but it's just him in, in makeup. Like it's not special effects; it's just the actor. And uh, he played the Xenomorph in Covenant, uh, and he had a he has a similar kind of uh, build. I think he did, like, an incredible, incredible job. And I was going to say, in that fourth act, too, I thought it was kind of funny, because, like, we have to, ha- you know, th- I think this movie's done a really great job uh, breaking tropes of, of the genres, but then, we, you know, we have to get, Ripley's got to take her clothes off. <laughs> oh my god, of iconic butt crack. Her knee? <laughs> so tiny! Um, iconic butt crack? First of all, <laughs> the greatest um, and I'm going to say it, frankly, what I interpret as also iconic Bush, because <laughs> 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 she's wearing some tiny ass panties and, um, and yeah, iconic butt crack. Um, exactly. Um, and she just didn't give a fuck. And I, like, I have a, me and my my old roommate, one of my old oldest friends ever. Holler. Shout out to Tina. Um like our favorite butt crack in the universe is Sigourney <laughs> Weaver's butt crack in this movie. Wearing panties that are like that low on your butt is so uncomfortable, but she did not care. She rocked it. She rocked it. Yeah. I know it's like this like super strong like female role and then it's like of course. I I wouldn't want to fight an alien in my underwear, but <laughs> not my little tidy whitey. Yeah, but when I was when I was rewatching it um in prep for this I also, um, really, for probably the first time, and it, maybe it's because I was paying attention to how, like, dripping and sweaty and moist everything was. <laughs> um, but, like, when she got That's in there guy. and she thought, you know, okay, like, this is, this is my sanctuary now, I'm safe, the, it's blown up, I'm gonna go to sleep now for six weeks or whatever. I was like, God damn, I mean, there's no shower on there, so the closest thing she can do is to peel off her fucking clothes, and I probably would have done the exact same thing. I, I, I it, You know, and I always looked at it, you know, we'd always laugh at it, you know, in previous years watching it. It's like a, a few drinks and going, oh yeah, she's got she to take off her clothes, but it's like, damn it, I'd want to peel off my clothes too, because it's d- disgusting, and you know, you're sweaty. like, sweaty and gross, and you can't get a shower, and... <laughs> It's like a nightmare when I used to work in retail. It's like you come home, work to work, and all day you take off your pants, sit down, watch some Netflix, some self care, and some fucking customers hanging in your closet. Like, 
Uh, excuse me. Exactly. They unfurl. They unfurl from the wall, and you and have got to, that like, case spray them haircut. with. Yeah. <laughs> and she wants she wants to talk to the manager. She's gotta talk to the manager. I well, got I this say, coupon from you last year. They're grappling book here. Yeah. Get out of my house, bitch. <laughs> Shooting you off in the space. Well, I will say too, like Get back in your video. I, I, I say like, oh, they had to do it, but out of a lot of these movies, because when that when that kind of stuff happens, you're always like, oh, they gotta do this. But I will say, like, to me, it didn't feel. I mean, I'm not a woman, but it didn't feel like very, like objectifying. No, it wasn't like, exploitative. It's not I erotic. Mean, to, it's me, more like to me, it was her being like getting comfortable finally, vulnerable. Because like, even yeah, so even the lighting in that that pod changes. Yes, the listen. I kind of disagree with that because it was like the smallest pair of underwear possible. <laughs> okay, I know, but we didn't. We didn't. Oh, oh, no, 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 but I do, I was going to say we didn't see anybody else's underwear. Um, I do have one note from much earlier, and we, you know, kind of John Hurt past baby. it. John Hurt wearing a corset. Ooh. When, he, when he wakes up after the face hugger disappears off his face, he's sitting on that, um, I'm going to call it a slab, an examining table, and he's wearing a fucking corset. Yeah. Like, you can, you can practically see his junk. And it's like lit, unlaced, like it's very much a like a corset or a bathing suit. <laughs> no, it's I don't know what like this, that was another yeah, another little tiny thing. detail that like I people gloss over. That. But um, you know, like that's that's again, you know, this finely tuned movie. You know, it's a small detail, but it it uh, it, it sort of locates it further in the future where you know even like their underwear and stuff was maybe. Uh, slightly more genderless. Maybe they all wore that type of underwear. Well, I, I think the, like that corset co- kind of feminizes him because mm-hmm. he's uh, mm-hmm. he's pregnant. Then, right? Like, yeah, yeah, and it's white, of course. Mm. I think Virgin the real is, Yeah, I think the real moral of the story is that I think these people on the ship just are kinky. Mm. They're getting down. They are getting down. So yeah, we kind of have the final scene and and. The fight with the alien, and we we shoot the uh, alien with the harpoon, blast it off into space. That scene where he's kind of floating in space is another one of the scenes that I don't like in this movie. I feel like that's yeah. just a bad cut where it's just like it, he, he, it looks like a guy in a rubber suit. Yeah. Like the only, yeah. I think the only moment where the xenomorph looks like a guy in a rubber suit. Yeah, that's exact scene where I was like, this must be a person. Yes, yeah, because it's so much harder, especially, I guess, where they were using practical effects and it was 40 years ago. Um, I feel like a lot of the menace was created by, like, the like the glistening of it and, like, the really um, deliberate lighting. Whereas they can't, they couldn't do that with that, you know, yeah, exactly. Well, so much of the, the pitch of this movie that they made was that this was Jaws in space. That's how they pitched it. And okay, yeah. Jaws is very similar in the sense that, like, it's very much what you don't see, and it's the, you oh, see the 100%. shark. You see yep. the shark very sparingly, and it was another thing where, it was like, the shark looked like shit. Like the 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 animatronic doll was was shit. So Spielberg had to like show it as little as possible, but that's what made it so great. And I think they definitely used that principle for. For alien, yeah, and it's and it's only in that scene really that 
for, like, explication of how she gets rid of it that you have to show it that much. So, you know, it's just out of necessity that they have to do that kind of shitty effects. <laughs> yeah, no. And so that that is the the end of the film. And this is where we always uh, open it up. Was there anything else anyone wanted to mention about, like, mention notes they had written or something we didn't talk about? Um, it's not so much a note or something we didn't talk about as something I just want to throw out there, especially if, you know, God only knows, somebody might actually listen to this. Um, <laughs> but, you guys have um, two patrons. No. Yes, this is true. Um, there is a really, one of the greatest discussions of this film that I have ever seen, and like some of what I said earlier was definitely inspired by my reading of that, is... Um, a Barbara Creed book called The Monstrous Feminine. And she has like a whole quarter of her book where she talks about like all the like vaginal and um, like matriarchal uh, visual motifs in this movie. And there's some really cool discussions in there. And like she uses stills from the movie and stuff. And I just want to like throw that out there as anyone who was interested in this movie academically or as like a horror buff or if you like film theory or like feminist criticism or anything like that, like that is such, it's a very expensive book to track down. I had to take it out from the library and university, but um, it's really worth um, like, if you like alien or horror movies or anything like that uh, worth taking a look at. Yeah. You guys should definitely link that in whatever Mm. thing you post. I came across, I also came across, I didn't even like really intentionally reach out and look in academia, but I did come across like several academic articles about alien and there's stuff about like feminist theory, obviously, and like postmodernism. And like, if you're interested in that, alien is definitely like academics love alien and like love dissecting it. So it's a very fruitful topic. Well, body horror is super postmodern in cinema. And uh, I think it's like pre Krona or sort of going along with the Cronenberg uh, peak of his early career. I think what I love so much about Alien is that it uh, it ticks off so many boxes for me. Uh, like, I love cosmic horror, and obviously there's a lot of cosmic horror. I love body horror. And also, it's um, it's uh, it, it has some slasher horror movie in it, too. Like, Oh my god, yes. I think Ridley Scott said he's like... You know, O'Bannon calls it Jaws of Space. Ridley Scott called it... Uh, He's like, in a lot of ways, it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre in space. Because yeah. once the xenomorph is, is at its full size, it's, it's very slasher-like. Like, it's him chasing them through this, this cloth, chasing the crew through this claustrophobic uh, setting. And to me, that's Oh, yeah, once the chestburster comes out, that's like Leatherface throwing open that door in the house and, you know, chasing trying to hide and putting and her on the meat hook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's... Yeah, no, I, I'd read that too, and I would a hundred percent agree with that about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in space. Um, so we'll play our our budget game. Did you look at the budget yet, Brad? The the budget for the movie. Yeah, how much it cost to make, and how much it made. We we usually guess, and then oh well, I know how much it costs. <laughs> it costs eight million. Uh, I'm gonna say yeah. it cost eight million. <laughs> Are you saying 8 million? I guess. Brad <laughs> says he knows how much it well, costs. Well, the funniest... <laughs> yeah. It's because originally they gave the they gave them $4 million to make it. But once it got greenlit, Ridley Scott spent two weeks 
storyboarding the entire movie, and he showed it to them, and they doubled it immediately. Yeah, I and the, the stats that I got had that, uh, and then it had it also. He reported eleven million at one point because he said that at the end the studio gave him more money. Yeah, it went it went over budget, so it probably cost a bit more. And then, yeah, so made. Let's do made. How much do you guys think this made, Exilia? Oh, Lord. I have no idea. I have no, like, comprehension of this kind of stuff in terms of guessing. I don't know. $16 million. I don't know. <laughs> How about you, Mike? <laughs> um, I'll say round about 30. 30 million. 30 million, 1979 dollars. Not 2019. What about with inflation? I have the inflation. I am not. I am okay. Listen, I'm not. Fifty million. Inflating this. Well, the interesting thing. (laughs) Also, can I ask? Does anybody know if this was Ridley Scott's like first feature? I I can't remember. I can't think of anything that. Okay, I was gonna say I can't remember anything else that he did. Yeah. But the movie. uh, Uh, we don't actually know how much it made because I think it's Fox produced it. They uh. It was an example of like early Hollywood accounting uh, shenanigans because they claimed yeah. that the movie lost money because that way they wouldn't have to give uh, Brandywine uh, any like residual profits. But and they were like, this movie definitely fucking made a lot of money. And then finally Fox was like, let's make a sequel. And they were like, why would you make a sequel if the movie lost money? And so finally they had to like be like, oh yeah, it made like between a hundred and two hundred million dollars. Oh my god. The the figure that That's a uh, lot of goddamn money for, you know, nineteen seventy. The figure IMDB had was two hundred and three point six wow. million dollars. That's a lot of money. It made it made money. I also read that uh when Was that it ca- with inflation or no? Uh no, I don't think that's with inflation. No, not with inflation. Wow, that's, that's like a lot the of old money. numbers. I and I did read two when it first came out on video uh it made like 40 million just off video like in its first couple weeks i think alien is still like when you adjust for inflation it's still one of the highest grossing r-rated movies ever made oh yeah easy that's way off my uh 16 million (laughs) listen i was trying to show you up by doubling that (laughs) so yeah and i had written like we always do, I have like just a couple random facts that we we like to talk about uh, about the movie. So in 2002, uh, the movie Alien was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress, and it was selected for preservation by the U.S. National Film Registry. Oh my God! Hallelujah! <laughs> uh, Thanks for that link, Mike. <laughs> uh, Veronica, uh, Veronica Cartwright who played Lambert she actually didn't know until she went to wardrobe that she wasn't playing Ripley that was who she uh, was supposed to be was That's some, who she, like, who auditioned for, for. Um, and then uh, can I use your Veronica Cartwright trivia as um, a segue of course um, so Okay, Veronica Cartwright is actually great, and she's been in a lot of really cool stuff over the years. Um, one of the things that she was in in the 90s was the sequel to Candyman called Candyman Ooh. Farewell to the Flesh. And oh, yes. coincidentally, 
<laughs> Our next episode is going to be the original Candyman. I'm so excited. Chosen Ooh. by yours truly. <laughs> Love it. Love the knowledge. That's right. Dropping knowledge. I've got I've got the trivia, man. It's it's useless, but I've got it. The, but uh, only with actresses. Actors, I don't know anything about them. <laughs> I don't care. You can you can say Yafit Koto was in whatever. I have no idea, but you give me the, the you give me the actresses, and I know everything they've ever done. He, he was the villain in James Bond. A lot of people were the he villain played, in James Bond. He played like one of the villains. Oh, Yafit Koto was uh, Baron von Baron Samity. Baron von Samity. Yeah. I, oh I, I, my I, God, you're right. You're right. So another another fact I had was uh, in the audition for Harry Dean Stanton, the his first words were, "I don't like sci-fi and I don't like monster movies." <laughs> I love and that. that guy. The, <laughs> and they said that's why they casted him because they thought that was hilarious. <laughs> but that's exactly why this. I was. mean, he had that irreverent attitude, like I'm just here for the paycheck, which clearly he was. So you yeah. know. Uh, I also had written down, uh, so the working title for this was Star Beast. Yes, yeah. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> Which, I, I don't know, I might have liked it more if it was well, called Star Beast. Well, I mean, Alien's not exactly a, like, subtle, poetic title either, but I like them both. I like them both because they're, like, sledgehammer subtle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, uh, the, the writer of this also wrote I didn't even realize the other things that he's written. Oh, he's done some good shit. So he wrote Total Recall. That was Shusit, yeah. I uh, know it's the other guy. Abandon. Yeah, I think they were both because I think Shusit. <laughs> I, I know this because he had the rights to that story because in interviews he calls it Total Recall. <laughs> and I'm like Total Recall, motherfucker. <laughs> it's not Total Recall. So. Yeah, uh, Total Recall, uh, Screamers. Oh, I love uh, Screamers. I love Jennifer Rubin, whose birthday it was the other day. Um, Holler, Nightmare on Elm Street through Dream Master. Or Dream, Dream Warrior, sorry. The, the wine is starting to seep in by Screamers is, uh, is, uh, Coons, right? Dean Coons? No, Screamers was, uh, isn't that Philip K. Dick? I want to say Dean Coons. You might be right. Exilly's gonna look it up. Well, why she looks um, Oh, but I, Dan O'Bannon also did um, Dead and Buried, didn't he? Because Total Recall is Philip K. Dick. Oh, I, yeah, Total Recall is Philip K. Dick. But what what was the other one you said, Mike? Um, didn't Dan O'Bannon also write that really good movie Dead and Buried? Yes. Yeah, yes. that's that's really good. That's that's a, also, an underrated, underseen movie these days. He also wrote Life Force. Mm. Sick. Life Force is excellent, which Scream- unfortunately... No, go ahead. Screamers is uh, based on Second Variety by Philip K. Dick. Oh, damn, uh, damn. And it isn't... I don't know if I'm correct, but isn't... Screamers was Canadian, wasn't it? The movie? I'm pretty sure it was. I it was, it's a, it what was, am I thinking of? Um, he, yeah. he also, the other two I've written down, he also wrote The Return of the Living Dead. Mm. And he wrote Classic. two segment. He wrote two segments for heavy metal. Yes. Oh my god, heavy metal! I have such a soft spot in my heart for. Dan O'Bannon is hilarious because he's such a nerd. Like he's <laughs> such a square. And one of my favorite anecdotes with this movie is that uh, he went to France because uh, uh, Jarodowski was trying to make. Oh Dune. yeah. 
And yes, he, yeah. And he recruited O'Bannon to write the script. So O'Bannon went to France to to work on the Stale project, and there, that's where he met Giger. And oh, uh, interesting. And if you think what kind of guy would design the Xenomorph? whatever your imagination brings you, it is exactly, Giger is exactly who you would imagine him to be. He is a fucking weirdo. Like, apparently he kept the skeleton of his fiance who committed suicide. Um, and so O'Bannon is like, I would encourage anyone to like Google O'Bannon. He's got this like, he's always got like suspenders and a bow tie and he's a neck beard and he's like, and so he talks about meeting Giger and apparently Giger like offered him some opium. And O'Bannon was like, ah, why are you doing that? That's bad for you. You shouldn't do drugs. And Giger goes, they quiet the visions. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this shit is my quiet visions. <laughs> but to, and I think uh, <laughs> the original script was pretty fucking wonky from, like, what I can tell. Like, it had none of the, the qualities uh, that we, like, love about Alien, like, None of those space truckers kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And, but it, it was his idea to bring Giger on board. And uh, Giger is the MVP of this movie, I think. Like, oh, 100%. No, nothing um, about this was... movie works if the Xenomorph doesn't look amazing. Yeah. And so, like, the Xenomorph looks amazing. The face hugger looks amazing. The eggs look amazing. The sets, especially when they go... I was going to say the, the spaceship, the alien ship. Yeah, the the hatchery, whatever you want to call it, mind is, blowing, yeah. is absolutely like, incredible, and that's all Giger. Uh, that's all his uh, creation. And uh, but it reminds me of like something you said near the beginning of the recording when um, you know we were sort of quietly, although we all love Ridley Scott, obviously, and we all you know we all love giving credit to the screenwriters of movies who never get credit, by the way, for their fucking shit. But to me, and, you know, you were saying, like, the screenplay, you know, originally had X ideas, and then um, Giger came in and contributed this. This is such a perfect um, example of, like, the fucking alchemy of collaboration that you cannot get, like, if you just give credit to, like, the director or whatever. Like, this, to me, was a perfect fusion of, you know, you had a writer with an idea, then you had the director come in who... um you know, kind of took it and sort of, like, molded it, and, you know, then you had Giger come in, who was this just insane artist. Like, he is a fucking artist. He is not, like, a movie person. He is an artist. Like, if you've ever seen his shit, you know, like, like, he's done album covers and, like, iconic album covers and shit, like Debbie Harry, and, like, to me, it's such a perfect synthesis of, like, all, and the, the actors, of course, and, like you were saying, like, Jerry Goldsmith, I mean, everything to me was this magical alchemy that you cannot recreate. And the, uh, I was going to say, to tie in, we were talking about how great everything looks. Uh, one of my last facts was uh, the jaws for the full-grown alien. His, uh, the tendons were created out of shredded condoms. That's amazing. Oh. That's how they make... And then the only other thing, as we talk about people that... All, the alchemy of everyone uh, working on this and creating it is what could have been was uh, Scott's ending that he wanted 
was he wanted the alien to bite off Ripley's head at the end. And that's how he wanted to end it. And then the studio was like, no, that's okay. Yeah, like, even if they didn't make sequels, I still think, um, I still think that you need to end the movie on her surviving. Otherwise, I think it's just too bleak, like. But I mean, and, and, like, you know, the whole thing is it's the, the, like, motif of, so, like, the subtext of, like, a lot of this movie is, like, motherhood and reproduction and, like, you know, kind of fighting for your offspring and shit. And so, like, her in that pod with the cat, to me, is, like, she has to survive. She is, like, that fierce fucking mother. Even if the only thing coming out of this is that fucking cat, like, <laughs> she will do anything to protect that cat. And I feel like, like, she has to survive. It's, it, it, otherwise, it just it becomes too cynical and it just kind of collapses on itself. And I think that's why it's, um, it's very Lovecraftian, but it makes a few interesting, um, detours from Lovecraft. And one of them is, is because the original script was more Lovecraftian because Lovecraft is big on scientists finding things they shouldn't be looking for kind of thing. Like, Forbidden knowledge, which forbidden I think is knowledge, of course, yeah. More like, which is more Prometheus, I think. Like they're morally, they're more so scientists than Prometheus. But in this one, they're they're blue collar working class, which uh, I think Lovecraft would probably like <laughs> find a little. He was probably like he'd be off putting. Ew, like <laughs> yeah. working people. That's you. Yeah. Um, also, yeah. black people and women, gross. Um, <laughs> he would he would not be into that. Yeah. Uh, and I think let's uh, let's let's not gloss over Lovecraft's problems. <laughs> so, and I love the. I mean, we don't have to get into like the nitty gritty of Lovecraft, but um, uh, Lovecraft is anti-anthropocentric, which I love, which kind of goes back to my point about anti two thousand and one. But he's he's very yeah. misanthropic, which I don't like about Lovecraft. But yeah. I think this movie is non-anthropocentric but not misanthropic so like like i because ripley lives in the end and you and you cheer and you want these people to survive you it's not like um other horror movies where you're kind of like taking pleasure in like the kids getting murdered kind of thing like in like friday the 13th movies you cheer you cheer for jason in those movies even and like you know, Alien you said Predator, like, Lambert here. was annoying, but <laughs> yeah. like you, you, st- it still stings a bit when you know she gets murdered, especially when there's that like kind of hint that you know it rapes or you know violates her somehow. Yeah. Like it's all it all stings. It's you know th- like because like you said, th- they took the time to actually like give the backstory and like elevate the characters. And I think too the 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 anti-capitalist strain of the movie is is a new layer in cosmic horror because the the real villain in the series is is the Whalen yutani company i think oh the company because, absolutely because the xenomorphs are just they just are like that's why ash thinks they're so perfect because they don't yes i was gonna say they're they they don't like they kind of exist in a moral vacuum <laughs> yeah they just I mean? exist to create like yeah and destroy right like they just exist to just to consume and to procreate, and they don't give a fuck about anything else. <laughs> like, they're not making cave drawings, they're not, like, 
debating politics. They're they're just like, we're here to fuck shit up and fuck you in the mouth. And they're not <laughs> sentient and bent on, like, you know, getting on a spaceship and, like, taking over Earth or whatever. Like, all that shit that happens in the subsequent things, it's all, like, a result of fucking corporate greed, right? Like, Yeah, it's like... Um, they want to make money off of this, so... That shit spreads, and again, you you know, the aliens are just sort of like the pawns in fucking capitalist bullshit. <laughs> they're like they're just uh, kind of animalistic. They're like to me, I see the the xenomorphs as like the irreducible, like spontaneity and chaos of nature, and the Wayland Utani, they're trying to like commodify it, but that's like the last horizon of capitalism. Like you cannot commodify life itself. Like it'll it'll. In every in all the movies, especially I think in Resurrection, I think is what it doesn't get enough credit for. Is like that's where they really strain the idea. Like, no, we're gonna get these things and we're gonna train them and we're gonna put them in like boxes and we're gonna you know turn them into weapons and it's like it all goes to shit because yeah. and because isn't that also the same installment where they you know kind of introduce a like clone Ripley? So yes, like even yeah. her even even her life you know and she's like the kind of sacred you know, final girl of this series and it's like, even she is a commodity, it's like, she's not even the original, she's like the simulacrum. Yeah. Well, it kind of just shows how corporations just kind of, like, try to exploit everything in in their path. Yeah. For their own benefit, right? Yeah. So do we want to get to the rating? We have to rate this thing. Um, I will gladly jump on first and slay it. It is a fucking (laughs) slay. It's a slay. It's a slay. Is it like either or? It either it's slays a, or it doesn't. Yay, nay, or slay. We have a new thing. It's a, it's a, it's a nay, yay, or slay. But Mike and Exilia are indecisive, so they've introduced like nay positive, <laughs> nay, nay plus, minus, slay plus, mine's a plus, yeah. yay plus, slay yay plus. Minus, it's, yeah. it's a perfect ten out of ten movie for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's a that's a slay. It's a slay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I yeah, slay slay plus 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 for me. <laughs> I I love this movie a hundred percent. I recommend this movie to anyone. I think everyone should see this. It's like, what else do you it's want? A, like, it's got it's got aliens. It's got like like I said, it hits so many uh, boxes. It's this yeah. cosmic horror, body horror, slasher. You got some butt crack. You got some bush. <laughs> you know. Yep. But like Some you know, testicles in the corset, and you've got so like stomach. Come on. great writing, great acting, great art, great music. Like it's literally the perfect fucking alchemy. Like every element of this movie works, and it works perfectly. And it's uh, it walks that line between like academics love it, straight up like just horror movie people love it, like. You can watch Sleepaway Camp and Alien together, and it doesn't feel strange. But nope. you can watch, you know, Fellini, and then this movie, and I still feel like they they belong in the same camp, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It, there's there's an artfulness to everything about it that that really fits in with this. So the real the real question is, Exilia, the first time viewer, the rating. Okay, so. Because I had seen those other two movies before, I really went into this movie being like, I'm going to absolutely hate it. 
I also am like thought it was like going to be an action movie, which I hate. And I don't necessarily like sci-fi movies and that's like sp- set on a spacecraft because I find it really claustrophobic. I just like generally don't like movies like that. But um I think in terms of like the look of it and everything, it really held up. Like this is from 1979 and I think like it's it parallels movies today. Like, I think that was really good. I really like a lot of like the underlying themes. I love the cat, obviously. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and Ripley's like a total badass. Um, so I'm not going to give it a slay just cause it's, this is my opinion, but, um, I will give it a yay. Yay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Sorry, guys. I can ex- no, I can accept that. That's a lot for you. Me. <laughs> listen, we have decades of adoration for this series. <laughs> so, like, this is your first time seeing the original, then it's mm-hmm. it's fine. You don't need to watch it once and then and have had a low opinion of it before you watched it and then slay it. No, this movie is so just, hard to come into fresh. For, for, it for truly is. It movies. truly is. Like, I feel like there's the, there's a lot of cultural baggage with this movie. I just feel like for the kind of like I just really generally don't like movies that have a lot of characteristics that this movie has. Um not like themes and stuff, but just like, you know, like I said, it's on space and yeah. you know, I thought it was like a bit actiony. Um so for me to give it a yay is like a pretty big like it's I would oh, I would a- say people should watch it just for the like historical like, you know, yeah. it's a pretty Well, I mean, it's like Brad was saying, you know, it's the IMDb top 250 movies, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um so before we close out, uh I I want to thank Brad for coming on as our first special guest. Yes, thank you. I want to make sure Yes, thanks, oh, thanks for having I me. I want to make sure to give you some time to uh to plug anything you want to plug, or tell people to send you money. <laughs> well, you can just email me money uh <laughs> if you if you want. Uh well, I'll, I'll plug my novel. Uh it's called After Dark Vapors. You can buy it on Amazon. Um, it's a werewolf story set in Newfoundland uh, that touches on the history of residential schools and concepts of uh, intergenerational trauma. Uh, so if either of those things sound like your bag, um, you can find it on Amazon. It's on ebook or paperback. Also, if you're local, you can pick up a signed copy at St. John's Chapters. Yeah, there is copies. If you're in St. John's, Newfoundland, you can check it out. Uh, there's copies of Chapters. There's ch- copies at Broken Books and copies at uh, Elaine's Books as well. Oh, and the waiting. publisher, Engine Books, is spectacular, and you should check out all their work. I'm still waiting for our trip to Newfoundland so that I I refuse to buy it until I get a signed copy with a really nice inscription from Brad inside. <laughs> it must happen. <laughs> so now, I guess, is the uh, the housekeeping side of things. So, as always, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's all it Slays Podcast. Uh, thank you to everyone that's been leaving the iTunes reviews. Uh, Please keep that up if you can, because that helps us get seen. The more reviews we have, the higher we go up. Uh, So definitely leave a star rating if you can. Just some brief comments. I mean, if you Uh, want to rate five stars and say go fuck yourselves, that's fine. (laughs) That's okay with us. 
Uh, and we already, Mike already announced uh, earlier on that Candyman is our next official review. But our Facebook uh, poll finished. Uh, it was me versus Exilia, the house. Uh, house invasion. Although mine's a motel invasion. Motel invasion. Okay. I I had chose kidnapped. Exilia chose vacancy, and Exilia spanked me on that one. <laughs> no one was feeling the Spanish. Uh, the Spanish sub the subtitles. I'm Spanish just saying, movie. if Maybe. voting was open to me, I would have voted for you. You could have voted. Oh, Maybe oops. people just felt bad that I lost the last you one. You did lose the last one. That's, <laughs> But that's fine because you lost, but you didn't lose because we will be doing Mandy. Yes. I voted for Mandy. I was, was going to say Mandy. maybe. Thank maybe, you, Brad. You're a true and I will <laughs> Mandy was like my favorite movie of the year last um, year. Mandy might be the return part two of Brad as guest. I yes. love that movie. Spoiler alert! I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. I haven't I watched it yet, and I can't see it until we review it. So we better hurry. That's right. So yes, vacancy will be the bonus episode for April. So keep a lookout for that. Uh, and then we will say that we do have a big surprise coming. Uh, that right now we have contracted a guy. Exilia knows the plug. I do. His name. His name's Dino Mike. Dino Mike. <laughs> Sick. Uh, he's a graphic designer. That... Dino Mike underscore designs. Designs. He does uh, t-shirts and stuff that are like horror animation themed. And we have hired him out. And he is creating our logo. Nice. Our new logo. And we were, will hopefully have... Some shirts and some stickers and all sorts of things available. Ooh. Ooh. Swag. So I believe... <laughs> super swag. So I believe that is everything. Uh, thank you for listening. As always, I am Rowan. Bye, it's Exilia. This is Mike. Thank you for listening. Love ya, bye. Bye! <laughs> As Mike says. And we will see you later. <laughs> oh.